All right. Hello, and welcome to RealCom's first webinar in the series titled Mid-Year Trends and Course Corrections. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your RealCom host for today's webinar, Information Technology Takeaways. Today's discussion centers on industry trends, market conditions, new directions, innovative breakthroughs, and even some potential opportunities as they relate to both informational and operational technology-based options. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. We do thank the live attendees who've joined. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box at the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We always like it better when you're an active participant. So as we have our discussion, you think of something that you'd like to ask, feel free. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists, and we'll post a slide deck from today. But we have designed this session to be more discussion with fewer slides, so uh, they're still valuable. So if you want to download those, you can. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. And don't bother searching for doom and gloom articles about real estate uh, and the commercial real estate industry. I've already optimized some of those search results for you and we'll be taking the high road more optimistic and positive, more or less. So, uh, but if you are experiencing any technical issues, that's with connectivity, with sound or video quality, the best thing to do is typically disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a recording uh, link to the recording later today. Um, I've also included my email at the bottom of that page, just in case you're watching this as a recording. And you do think of a question that you would have liked to ask the attendees, uh, just mail them to me and we'll forward them along and see if we can get an answer for you. This educational webinar is sponsored by our outstanding so, uh, sponsors. The, uh, they include Building Engines. And Building Engines provides commercial real estate's most innovative building operations software platform. They help the world's most successful portfolios deliver an exceptional experience, both for everyone in the building, the tenants, the visitors, and the guests. Carrier Bound is a suite of connected solutions and a cloud-based digital platform that enables real-time, intelligent, outcome-based results that make buildings more efficient while providing occupants with confidence in the health and safety of the indoor environments. We are grateful for the contributions of these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping educate our viewers in sessions just like these. So if you're ready to increase your building operational process efficiency, these two vendors should be at the top of your list for evaluations, selections, and implementation. And just a quick note about uh, our Realcom webinars, our goal here is to discuss, debate, explore the landscape of innovative solutions, business challenges, and even uncertainty in some cases in a matter that's relatable and easy to understand and to provide our end user community, you, our Realcom followers, with relevant information that can be integrated into your own business objectives. Again, I'm Chuck Nicewanger. I will be your moderator for today's webinar. So let me set the stage here and give you just some additional context for this discussion. To, to, say, that, to say that the last month's 
leading up to RealCom IBCon conference this past June were filled with some high degree of uncertainty in the commercial real estate market is probably an understatement. I think most of you would probably agree. I was fortunate enough to be able to work with the RealCom team and planners to design uh, the most relevant educational sessions possible based on what we knew to be trending in our industry. Uh, topics that concern most of the people who would be in attendance and potential solutions being offered by a wide range of technology vendor partners, some of who are joining us here today. And in such, you know, session titles that were forming included things like prop tech in review, the corporate investment landscape, market volatility from the technology perspective, Tech giants speak on the state of the industry, and they really explored some of that volatility, uncertainty, opportunity, leadership in a rapidly changing environment, opportunities in times of change. You kind of get the idea. So some of those seemed fearful or pessimistic, while others seemed highly optimistic and unique opportunities ahead. You'll get the same conflict when you look at just headlines for major publications and news organizations, and I wanted to just give you an, a few examples. That one that I didn't post, I just have sitting right next to me, called Selective Defaults Could Become a Headache for Commercial Real Estate. That was posted by Globe Street on June 28th. You see others here from uh, Morgan Stanley. Uh, you, can, you can read these. Bracing for Possible Commercial Real Estate Crash by Forbes talking about the oversupply in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York, especially in the office environment. CNN, March uh, of 20, March 27th, commercial real estate is in trouble. You should be paying attention. Uh, and But then you had some more optimistic ones like Ernst & Young, how rethinking commercial business models can generate growth. And given the current market conditions, this window to pivot or start looking at uh, technology as a, as a solution, in some cases, to become more efficient, that starts to lean towards where this discussion is going to go. And I found this article that was interesting, too. Uh, Fort Worth's commercial real estate market is suddenly booming. Well, I had, uh, I'll play for you in just a few minutes a recorded interview that I had with Justin Siegel, they, and he's the head of Boxer Property, and they have commercial real estate in, uh, in Fort Worth and the Fort Worth Dallas area. So it's it'll be interesting to get his perspective. Um, before I do that, though, I want to take a quick poll of the audience. I got two quick polling questions. The first one is pretty simple. Uh, just give me an idea who's joined us today. This will give us an idea of how best we can direct our conversation if we need to adjust any of the commentary that we have based on who's joined us here. All right, so let's take a quick look at that result, Ian. So a high degree of C-suite. So uh, not surprising that we had uh, um, a lot of the executives. So I think you're gonna get a lot out of this conversation. We look forward to giving it to you. And then uh, I debated on whether or not to show you this next one, but since that's the case, I do wanna give you this. I'd like to get your opinion on this statement. The optimized use of today's technology solutions is a valid strategic response to commercial real estate market uncertainty. And I didn't put strongly disagree or degree or somewhat, just either you disagree, you agree, or you're not sure. Um, we'll give you a chance to respond to that one. 
All right, so there you go. I, I, I wasn't sure that was gonna be the outcome, so that might direct some of the conversation that we have here today. Awesome, all right, thank you for that. Um, so you can see that it was, some, some of those are pessimistic, some of those are optimistic. As we were planning all the way back in November with the Realcom team, uh, all the way up through spring, I think the discussion was, well, we're still kind of uncertain whether anybody's going to show up to Realcom. We didn't know if the people were going to be on travel restrictions, similar to what you might have seen in 2008, 2009. We weren't sure if uh, vendors were going to be, uh, uh, some of them operating in business. But the outcome of that was uh, surprisingly optimistic, and I want to give you a sense of that from Lisa Wood. She's the uh, uh, VP of Business Development and one of the managing partners at Realcom. So let's play her video. Hello again, everyone. I'm Chuck Nicewanger. I'm here with Lisa Woods. She's the Realcom Managing Partner, and she's also VP of Strategy and Business Development at, at Realcom with the Realcom team. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing good. It's so good, good to get a chance to catch. I didn't think we were going to be able to interview you due to vacations and stuff, but I'm glad we are. Yeah, so my, thank you for having me. My very first question is, what are your general thoughts about the Realcom I Become 2023, your 25th anniversary event that just occurred? Yeah, our 25th anniversary, we were so excited about, about the conference and uh, so many so many things to be thankful for in this conference, so many people to thank and uh, and, and so many industry thought leaders that have been part of part of the Realcom community for so long. So it was it was a high bar that we set and we had a lot of expectations for for the conference. I think the I think the event went off really well. Um, we had the attendance that that we were looking for actually, you know, kind of went over the uh, the attendance metric that we had that we had set for ourselves. So we had um, just under 2000 attendees at the conference this year. And then if you'll remember last year in Orlando, we had about 1600. So about it's 400. Moved. 400 people more than uh, than we did last year in Florida. Definitely moving in the right direction. That's and that yes. led me to a question that I wanted to ask you because you know I've been part of your group for a while and early That's on right. in the year when you were doing the planning, there was just a pretty uh, high degree of uncertainty whether this was even going to happen or not due to market volatility, devaluations, interest rates inflation, uh, potential collapse from any of those uh, potential uh, sponsors and vendors that were going to be on the expo floor, the whole prop tech industry, but it, it turned out well. You guys were a little yeah. nervous. We were, we were, you know, obviously Jim watches, uh, Jim watches the, uh, the, the economic winds pretty carefully. And, you know, we had been reading the, the articles that, you know, that were really pointing toward this year being a very uncertain year, you know, a lot of people very uncertain about very, um, you know, very retrospective and, and hesitant about what this year looks like. Um, what might be coming down the pike? What kinds of hardships? Will there be a recession? Will there not be a recession? If if we do have a recession, you know, how deeply is that going to be felt? Things like that. But but we were really surprised at the the energy for the conference, the number of vendors on the floor. We had um, 
a hundred, I can't remember the, the exact number now of the exhibitors. We had about 225, 230 total exhibitors and sponsors wow. um, on the floor and, um, and, you know, completely sold out the, you know, the exhibit hall. And, uh, you know, just uh, we were really surprised at the level of engagement from the the exhibitors and sponsors and they really came to the conference looking um looking to make their mark i think one of the most telling things about the conference was just when you looked across the exhibit floor a lot of our exhibitors particularly those that had larger booths really stepped up this year i was i was surprised and intrigued and and very pleased that that a lot of these guys had had really put their best foot forward they always do but this year it felt a little different the, the booths themselves, I mean, there's a, there's a, they were cleaner, they were sharper, they were, they had really put a lot of thoughtfulness into the layout and the design of the, you know, of the exhibit floor. And so, you know, to us, it was, it was great. It was, um, you know, it was truly them responding to the industry and responding to, to maybe feedback in, in years past and really wanting to attract people and, and, and approach it in a different way and i think that was that was really good and we had 175 i don't know why that number was escaping me but 175 exhibitors on the floor and actually some of those exhibitors went off into uh into our uh, our four-year area we couldn't fit everybody inside the exhibit hall now but, you, had um, some, you, you had some new things too i i know like for example the bc yeah. lounge and some new uh sessions like breaking barriers that seemed to, to stand out any others like that that were surprises to you well, we had a number of new pre-conference events, as you know. We had we had the VC Lounge. That was something we had not done before. Um, we had the uh, the the brand new ESG Environmental Sustainability um, Forum. That this was the first year that we had done that. That was not surprising necessarily, but it was a great show showing. Uh, I think we had um, just shy of about a hundred people in in that room and had a lot of advisors, a lot of our uh, thought leaders from the real estate community and user community participating in what that program looked like and the speakers that we brought in for that. We had also the uh, the 5G in building wireless um, uh, symposium that uh, that was, uh, again, a first year event that um, that was, you know, very well attended. Cybersecurity blew me away. That cybersecurity summit in the morning. Normally, that's a very well attended event, too. But we had 200 plus 225 230 wow. in the room and it was standing room only at one time i walked in and i thought gosh we need more chairs there were people standing around the back uh in the back wall and uh, you know looking around for places to sit we had it set up a little bit differently um we had you know sort of a combination setting in that room where we had some you know some tables for rounds and then we had theater seating in the back um, just trying to make it a little bit more intimate setting so we can do some small group conversations and things like that. Um, but 225, 230, I think in that in that room, that was that, just that worked out well. We had similar similar activity, interest level, excitement in that breaking barrier session. I actually took some video of That's that. It was right. pretty pretty awesome. I want to get to, right. uh, to two quick things before we finish. Uh, yeah. the, the Digi Awards, the Julie Divine Impact Award, the Lifetime Achievement Award, these have developed over time. Uh, they really are coveted. What's some of the history behind these awards and maybe even a little bit about your selection process? 
Yeah, well, the the Julie Devine um, Digital Impact Award obviously um, is uh, in memory of Julie Devine, and she was a partner um, with Realcom and and really had a huge impact on the on the industry. And she passed away in 2016, um, very unexpectedly. So that was. Um, that was a you know something that that we really grappled with and and uh, and wanted wanted to to name an award after her that really um, you know sort of um, spoke to her dedication her commitment to the industry um, you know just just the kind of person that she was and we wanted her to be remembered and so the digital impact award is is in her name and and just really really again personifies all of all of the great wonderful traits that she had um and and really lives on in our digi award you know yep. ceremony the lifetime achievement award is we started that uh just prior to our 20th anniversary and uh jim really wanted to to look across the industry and and there are some some criteria for that 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 really makes it special. One is um, it, it you know the the candidate that is being considered has to have at least 20 years in the industry. So that wow. that award really um, plays to being an industry thought leader, being out there, not only just having the vision for technology and advancement of their you know real estate portfolio, but but sharing what they've learned. Uh, taking risks and and not being afraid to just sort of put your neck out there and and try some new things. Yep. Um, also, just having having the vision and and having an understanding of technology and the advancement of technology in the in the industry. Um, and and really putting yourself out there and um, participating, engaging, being a part of the you know part of the community and uh, and and doing whatever you could, giving of your time, giving of your intellectual property all of those different things. There's a lot that goes into it, a lot in terms of, of consideration and very, very special people who who win that. And, and it really is a, a lifetime acknowledgement of their passion and integrity, dedication, commitment, all of those things, but a lot goes into it. And uh, some wonderful people being considered um, every single year. It's a very yeah. difficult decision to make. I bet. And uh, fortunately, I've been able to interact with several of those winners on just even on some of these webinars. So uh, before we finish up uh, uh, the uh, planning for next year, when does that yeah. start and what what are you what are some of the themes or challenges or things that you think about when we think about 2024? Well, we've already started the planning. We always do, but uh, but not really sure of the theme. I think that I think we're going to give it some thought as we go, you know, more get more into this year and see what 2024 might look like. Um, but definitely starting to plan for uh, for next year. We know it'll be in June, um, but not really sure what city or the the exact date. But we know we're going to need bigger space. <laughs> <laughs> we know that um, yeah, good. we we know through through this year uh, you know we we encountered some some difficulties this year in working with the hotel and being in Las Vegas that um that hopefully was was a little transparent to you know most of the community at large that attended the conference but certainly things we're putting on our list to to avoid and and ways in which we want to plan to make the experience better for everyone next year um but we have probably five or six cities on our list that that we've got an eye on and okay. a couple people have said hey Nashville was 
would be a great city yeah. to go back to. Yeah, so Nashville's definitely. on the list. We were supposed to be in Miami and, um, you know, in 2020 and, uh, and, you know, obviously that, that, uh, that didn't happen. So Miami's kind of on the list, but, you know, four or five other cities as well that we're, that we're looking at. So stay tuned. Hopefully All we'll right. have an announcement in the next, uh, 30, 45 days. Well, we're really looking forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Lisa Woods, uh, Managing Director at RealCom, VP of Strategy and Business Development. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your time. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. All right, bye. All right. That was awesome. Thank you, Lisa. I hope you're having a great time on vacation. We're all working here, so we won't we won't shame her too much. As you saw in my open, you know, there was some headlines from Morgan Stanley, the Wall Street Journal that were very pessimistic and and the couple that were optimistic had mentioned Fort Worth and the commercial real estate office market booming in Fort Worth. And I had the opportunity to catch up with Justin Siegel. He's president of Boxer Property. So uh, uh, again, we'll get through this one video, then we're gonna have a live session. So I just, I did wanna include Justin in on this. So uh, let's take a quick listen of this uh, about 10 minute interview with Justin. Welcome everyone again, Chuck Nicewanger here. I'm with Justin Siegel. He is president of Boxer Property, CEO of Stemmons Enterprise and co-founder of Relay Human Cloud. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, nice to be here. I am so glad you could join us, even if it has to do a recording. We're going to be talking about on this webinar, sort of where the state of commercial real estate is, where how it's come and sort of a little bit about uncertainty and any mid-year adjustments that we need to make uh, going forward. That's sort of the topic of this month's series on the webinar. So uh, let me just jump right in. First, let me recognize that you were the Julie Divine Impact Award winner. What a tremendous recognition and I'm just so excited. What were your thoughts uh, when you when you heard that you won? Uh, I was very honored, of course, um, and I know that that's a very important award for Realcom and the community, and I was humbled to receive it and uh, have been involved heavily in Realcom for uh, over 10 years and feel like I have uh, received a lot more than I've contributed, but it was um, it was nice to uh, hear that I had won. So thank you to the the the, the Realcom community for that. Well deserved. And uh, what what has been your relationship with Realcom during the last ten years? Well, we started. I would say probably started twelve years ago as we we realized uh, that we had to get very heavy into technology in order to compete in commercial real estate. And I showed up uh, at Realcom ready to learn. Uh, I was welcomed with open arms by uh, a, a group of peers, and I have benefited tremendously from the content and and the offline conversations that happen as well so it's been really wonderful for us and given us a lot of ideas um and um and great content well and you've been a real frequent contributor to realcom events to webinars to uh cio forums and other panel discussions what do you think differentiates boxer from other commercial real estate and companies uh that you you've been able to share and maybe others have learned well i i think you know boxer is a vertically integrated company we do a lot of things ourselves um and it's privately held so we have the ability to make decisions across the organization that impact a lot of different operational areas and so 
um, when we leaned into technology, we figured out how to be very data driven, how to use systems, how to manage by exception. And uh, it has just been the case that as we've continued to push on that, it's opened up possibilities for us to do things like, for example, running our own collaborative space platform rather than outsourcing it to an intermediary, um, like getting into hotels and retail and uh, and other asset types uh, and like becoming a global company and expanding across uh, across different countries. So the, the technology um, has really yielded dividends that relate to the way we work and the types of things that we can do rather than just solving a very narrow problem. Is that sort of what you mean on the website when it says our philosophy? I'm just looking at what I quoted here, use the use of advanced technology for quality control and efficiency. Is that what you mean by that? It does. I mean, it, it and and frankly, it starts with not even advanced technology. Um, you know, there's a there's a series of steps of prerequisites. You have to have some good information, some good data. You have to have some flexible systems. You have to have the right people. And once those things are in place, we found that we're able to layer in um, artificial intelligence and algorithms and you know truly advanced data driven interventions on top of that basic platform. And so the uh, the focus on technology to make sure that we understand exactly what's happening in the portfolio, we can spot the places that we need to focus rather than relying on kind of, you know, a bunch of people walking around looking at things with their their crania and their retinas. That's, I, I think that's interesting. And you and I, I'm, I'm very familiar with your platform. Uh, but I think it gives you a unique perspective too, and I'd like to get your comment of uh, just the hundreds, if not thousands, of prop tech solutions in the industry today that are really vying for market share. What's the likelihood, uh, you know, the direction of these? You know, they've got uh, different valuations. What What do you think is going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months? Um, I think a, a large number of them will get wiped out. You know, I think there's there are, there are many companies that have some gas in their tanks, but they're not going to be able to fill up again. And the market is uh, experiencing tremendous pricing pressure right now. And, um, you know, there, there's vacancy in the commercial market. And I think the budgets for uh, siloed individual use applications will be uh, will be curtailed. Uh, we'll probably see a lot of companies uh, stop offering their products or or consolidate or there'll be some roll ups. Um, but I think that where the action is right now is really in uh, less siloed, more comprehensive systems that draw on a common set of data and can help across the organization rather than having a collection of hundreds of siloed prop tech solutions. Now, given that too, that's the direction for prop tech, but also for the industry, especially office uh, and suburban office can be real, real difficult going into these, these times of, uh, you know, billions of dollars worth of loans coming to maturation, that that uh, uh, companies that have to give things back to the bank, it's, it's, it's a real challenge and there's some uncertainty going forward. Yet, I saw a recent article published in the Wall Street Journal, Journal on Fort Worth saying Fort Worth's commercial real estate market is suddenly booming. Uh, and you have assets in Fort Worth. Do you do you think this is something that other c cities should emulate, or do you think this is more about decentralization from the urban core? 
Yeah, I think I, when you look at the entire DFW Metroplex, Fort Worth is one part of a constellation. And, you know, what you what you used to have uh, in, in that market and other markets is a lot of moving, you know, commuting in uh, to the center uh, so that people could be proximate with each other and, and be in a dense environment. And now what we've seen is that nobody wants to commute. Um, con companies, users, tenants are becoming more decentralized and places like Fort Worth and other suburban areas around some of our largest CBDs are seeing an uptick um, where the where the CBD itself is is experiencing great pain. So I think that decentralization and suburbanization of um, how people use office space is a very real factor for for what's going on in the market. Yeah, but hybrid work is still a thing, uh, even with your tenants. And so the you know the idea of downsizing and lease renegotiations has to be factored in. I think there's hybrid work, which is people working sometimes in an office and sometimes at home or a coffee shop or something like that. Um, I suspect that uh, that will start to be less exciting. Um, I mean, it'll always be there to some degree, but we we believe that people do much better work in an office. Um, we think that uh, it's it's kind of fun for people to work from home or from wherever they want. But as companies uh, roll into new employees and have competitors who are more productive, uh, we're going to see people moving back to the office. It just won't be in one big, dense downtown suburb, uh, uh, central location, rather. Awesome. I, I got. I've got time for one more thing just to squeeze in. I have so much emphasis on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and your company has a unique model with that, with the offshoring team members that are part of your business. They they belong to you. They're part of the culture. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, this is really a, an extension of the the concept of decentralization. As we started opening offices. Uh, and and engaging employees all over the world, and of course there's there's a um, you know if if you're counting people there there's a diversity component to that, but really what we're doing is finding talent in the places where it makes the most sense, and you know once we and everybody else learned that people can work from all different places, but that an office is best, um, we we set up through Relay Human Cloud the ability to have people who are dedicated full time to us, but are located in places like India and Honduras and Mexico. And it's been a real game changer for us because we're truly a global company. Um, even though our properties are all located in the US, uh, we have about one out of every four staff members is actually located overseas. Fantastic. Well. Uh, I think, Justin, as we said earlier, I think we could go on for a, a much longer, but I want to be able to fit you in on our webinar this week. So I just thank you so much for your time and for your uh, sincere uh, sharing. And, and congratulations again on the Julie Divine Impact Award. Well worth it. So really do appreciate it. We'll see you again next time. Thanks a lot, Chuck. I appreciate it. All right, good. I, I just I wanted to include those two so you got a good perspective from not, not just uh, the industry, but also real common, the planning component. Lisa did a great job with that. So hope that was valuable to you. The discussion with uh, Justin, again, I, I think the survey results were very interesting in the sense of everybody seemed to agree uh, that those that had an opinion that that technology and the strategy associated with it is uh, particularly strategic defense 
for what could potentially be a, a high degree of uncertainty and, and, and instability uh, in the market going forward. So uh, with that, let me bring on uh, Joe Rich. Joe's with us live. This is not a recording. Uh, Joe is the executive vice president, uh, CIO of Related, uh, a privately owned real estate firm with a portfolio of over 50 billion in real estate assets owned and under development. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Chuck. How are you today? I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, if, if you don't mind, maybe a little bit more of your background. Uh, I, I didn't give your whole uh, bio, but uh, I think it's important for people to understand where you're coming from uh, and uh, your career and maybe a little bit of your history with Realcom. Sure. Um, I'm the CIO at, at Related. Uh, been with Related just about seven years uh, at this point. And uh, as Chuck stated, we are a New York based owner, operator and developer of multifamily mixed use uh, commercial office uh, and uh, affordable housing uh, across the US. Um, in fact, the company started as an affordable housing uh, operator 52 years ago. Uh, and um, we've just kind of grown or organically since then. And uh, related is, is a private company, which is, uh, is important. Prior to that, uh, for a number of years, I was CIO at Tishman Spire across town in New York. Um, so I've been in and around the real estate industry about 25 years-ish. Um, and so I always say, I, I, what I don't know about the real estate uh, technology, I can kind of fake. So um, with Realcom, I can't remember the exact Realcom I went to. I don't know if it was Realcom 001, but uh, it was one of the first. Um, I've known Jim and Howard ever since. Um, and I really applaud the uh, contribution that they make to the, to the real estate industry, real estate technology industry. And it's really been super helpful. I've made um, so many great friends. Uh, throughout the industry. And I think that's something that's unique to our, our industry. I, I think that's a, a great comment too. Uh, when we think about Realcom and the conference itself, the ability to get together with people, that idea of not just networking and in its formal definition of networking, but the ability to make real friends, people who will actually answer the phone when you call them and respond to your email. Uh, how valuable has that been to you? It's, incre it's incredibly valuable um, to get the 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 one-off um, viewpoint of somebody that's in in your shoes in another company. It's just it's just great, and it may not be even about real estate. It may be a Microsoft question. It may be just some some kind of ransomware. It may be something cyber related, and um, it, it's just uh, tremendous to 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 get to have that net network and and group of people that are are so willing to pick up the phone and answer, answer an email. Now, was this this past year, this the 25th anniversary of Railcom, was it your first time being uh, co-chair or had you been tapped for that before? Uh, I had been tapped for that before. I want to say it was 2016. San Jose, uh, San whatever year San Jose was. That's that's what I remember. OK. All right. And during some of the interview process, I, I listened to one of the interviews, recorded interviews that you did with, uh, I think it was with Howard. Uh, and, and or Jim, I think both both times it may have came up. You mentioned, here's the quote, there are troubled times ahead, 
So we can't stop innovating and we must focus on return on investment. So I want to qualify my question a little bit. I did see from David Katz, how do we change the cost benefit analysis of smart building technologies that are not well suited for simple payback and lowest first cost? Um, so you saw my headlines, three of them very pessimistic, two of them somewhat optimistic. I understand we are not, it, it, we're, we, we're not, uh, uh, in the, the financial uh, gurus and all of the, the the groups that can make those prognostications, but we we come from a technology perspective. So give me sure. your thought. What, what did you mean by trouble times ahead, and what do we can do? That? So I give there's you a certainly, lot. There's certainly a, a lot to unpack there, but you know, Chuck, I'm not a, a gambling man, but if if I were, I would say I see I will uh, see your headline and I will raise you a headline. Um, and the headline is from our CEO, Jeff Blau, in the Financial Times two weeks ago. And the headline was, Jeff Blau re rejects offices' dead claims by betting billions on new towers. And uh, related is uh, we are looking to build uh, $6.5 billion of new towers in 10 cities uh, across the U.S. and, and in London. So. Um, in fact, the, the article goes on and we, we firmly believe there's actually a shortage of, of class, what we're calling double A or lifestyle office. And um, that seems like a crazy statement with 70 million square feet of vacant commercial space in, in New York City. Um, but it, it is true, the, the type of office space with the amenities and the connectivity and the tenant engagement that, uh, that our, our towers and, and some of the newer towers uh, do have is what the, our, our, our employees and, and our tenants are looking for. So um, going back to trying to answer uh, David's question, you have to have, it, it's really table stakes. You must have the technology, you must have the connectivity, you, you must have uh, the efficiency of accessing the building of securing the building, of, of making sure that the, the, the building is, is well maintained. So I, I would say it, it, the, it's table stakes for, for leasing, which really ties into the business model for an individual commercial office building. And, and that's how you get to your ROI. Got it. Oh, hey, well said. All right, everybody, you heard it here first. That's, what, <laughs> that's breaking news. You might be quoted on that one. Um, any reaction to the survey, I think, given what you just said, the survey of, 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 of executives who kind of feel about the same way, the technology is going to be needed in this in this troubling environment. No, and I think that's also um, indicative of the, the kind of response uh, we had at Realcom, right? We had we had almost as many people, if not more people than than pre pandemic, which was a little bit surprising. Uh, because of the economic conditions and the headwinds faced with commercial office space. But I think that everybody is looking to optimize their technology uh, to bring forward the, the experience for, for the tenants and the, and the users of our office spaces. Now, speaking of that, we talk about Hudson Yards and you've got some history with Hudson Yards. Uh, for those who don't know about it, you can easily look it up, but it, it, you can speak to this, the idea of some lessons learned where things started maybe in 2019 that are now shifting a little bit differently. Some of the uh, things that if you had to share with someone on a, on a big project like that, what would be some of your advice for those who are looking at that to get some ideas of where they should and shouldn't go 
Sure. Um, I'm physically standing in Hudson Yard, so I certainly b- believe in it. I think one of the, the, the key lessons learned is you know, having a, a private network to run building operations, call it a converged network, a private network, whatever you want to call it. But having that infrastructure is, is essential for things like access control, BMS systems, uh, camera systems, uh, if you have uh, tenant amenity space, you have to have Wi-Fi for all of that uh, can be connected uh, similar. Uh, we, so we've adopted that really as a, as a development standard across all of our, our assets going forward. We've put, we've put this in um, standalone residential buildings, standalone uh, commercial office buildings, and uh, also our, our uh, mixed use uh, developments as well and, and plan to do so before. Now, I, I, I will tell you that in the four years since we opened Hudson Yards to opened our newest building of 50 Hudson Yards, it's a 3 million square foot office building. Um, the, the number of IP addresses, we'll just as, as, a, as a way of judging it, uh, has tripled. Um, and that's indicative of the technology growing. We see operational technology in all of our buildings uh, growing exponentially um, for, for quite some time. Everything that is is now connected, sensors, BMS systems, lighting switches, you name it, uh, it it's, all, it's all connected and you need that infrastructure in place. To, to give people a sense, you just said tripled, but like, what does that mean? Tripled from what and where is it now? I mean, you're, you're talking about hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands? Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, I think, you know, in, in, a, in a single building, a uh, single office building called two million square feet, we may have had um, uh, uh, 1,000, 1,200 IP addresses, 50 Hudson Yards has over 4,000. Wow. Oh. So, so the idea of cybersecurity certainly would be one of those trending items that uh, was uh, always important, but now it's table stakes. It's more than ever. I, c- I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, so what, when we actually design these networks for our buildings, we design it in the constru- upfront construction drawings with cybersecurity in mind. Um, you know, for the buildings we do have connected in, in our network, we, we have our own um, security operations center. We're, we're tracking about 20,000 attacks on the building a month. These are not email attacks. These are direct attacks on the various pieces of equipment attached to the network di- directly. Um, so, you know, some of them are benign, some of them are seri- more serious, but if you're not looking and you're not preparing for cyber cyber uh, cybersecurity, you're probably going, you're definitely going to have a problem. I wouldn't say probably, you're definitely going to have a, a, a problem at, at this point. Um, every, buildings can be a soft target if you don't properly secure it. I, I would raise uh, to the attention of all of our viewers the Realcom webinars that we did in May. Um, the two sessions both focused on tabletop exercises following a cybersecurity attack. Uh, I got a tremendous amount of uh, feedback during Realcom. Some of the people coming up and saying, oh my gosh, this was like me sitting in on a reality TV show. I, I couldn't leave. I was going to get popcorn. I wanted to use the restroom, but I didn't want to miss anything. Uh, it was it was quite interesting because we had those discussions. I assume those tabletop exercises are things you're doing at Related. That That's part of a, you know, a normal uh, cybersecurity uh, practice. So you know, we follow the NIST framework, which is certainly a part of 
that that's part of that. Um, but it's 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 not as as easy as 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 maybe IT. OT, you have to have the vendors involved and they have to think the way that you do and not all vendors do in, in our industry. They're getting there. They're yeah. getting there. I would I would say too, uh, people who you're you're doing a lot of this is development work, but people who are acquiring an existing building, uh, my advice again to them, you can modify this in any way you like, but would be to include a cybersecurity assessment as part of the negotiation versus getting getting the building and then trying to tackle it at that point. Uh, that that's true. It, assuming there is a network in place in the building, some of the older <laughs> buildings may not even have that that kind of thing. And we we've I say that because we we purchased a few that, that that did not. But those are usually buildings that are ripe for a repositioning. And as you're doing the repositioning and you're putting the planning together, it's more important to make sure again get the network and the cyber into the construction drawings. I got one more. I got to ask you this question: How has uh, net z uh, carbon zero emissions indexes, standards, goals impacted the technology, your ability to measure and report. How, how has that changed for related over the last two years? And what do you think is going to happen going forward? Well, we related has always been uh, focused on sustainability. We try to build the highest LEED certified buildings that we can in the in the markets that, that we are in. Um, certainly in New York with local law 97, now that law being duplicated by other cities such as Boston and, and many other cities. Um, you know, I don't think those laws are perfect, but they're better than nothing. Uh, so I, uh, we, we certainly applaud them. And um, they're, they're difficult to, next to impossible to avoid the fines. And so we are, we are certainly very focused on, on that. And, and we have a lot of different programs from renewable energy uh, to uh, just working with our tenants in, in terms of also reducing their carbon footprint. And, and it, 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 it takes uh, all parties uh, to, to really reduce the carbon footprint of our, our, our assets. Fantastic. Um, Joe, I think you and I could probably go on for the entire rest of the webinar, but we do have uh, two more people that I want to bring on. And then for whatever time we have left, we'll, uh, we'll come back on at the end. Does that, that work for you? Sounds great. Thanks, Joe. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Um, I do want to bring on uh, uh, Kyle McCaith. Uh, he is the VP, New Business Sales, build, uh, Building Engines. I, Kyle was having a little video issues, but I do want to check to see Kyle, are you able to join us at least by audio? Hi, Chuck. Yes, I'm here. Uh, could not get the video working, unfortunately, but I am here by audio. All right. So tech, see, see, we we do these things, and even even tech companies have tech issues from time to time. So I think that's uh, fantastic. Uh, Kyle, what? First of all, welcome. Um, do you let me get, get let's get a little bit of your background. I, I just talked a little bit about you know being VP of new new business sales, but I do want to hear a little bit more about your experience, your background, and your relationship with Realcom so far. Uh, sure, thank you. Well, I've been with Building Engines for uh, almost two decades now, so I've been with a prop tech company starting back when prop tech was really in its infancy. So I've seen a lot of change uh, over the last two decades and worn a number of different hats for the organization over the years and um, uh, just excited to be uh, here today, have attended Realcom many times and 
uh, technology's changed a lot for sure since it started. Um, is there something that you you think you'd touch on right away, thinking about uh, the technology advancements in the built environment, uh, was it when it comes to data generation, governance, consolidation, that kind of thing that building engines are seeing now um, that you maybe haven't seen before? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think data itself has just tremendously become more important to uh, people that run buildings. And there's certainly greater value for that data, but there's also a lot more risk associated with it. So, I mean, on the value side, I think that um, people that operate buildings need to have access, easy access to data. They need data that's transparent. I think they need to use products that have open APIs, so there's interconnectivity between the different systems that they use um, that allow them to pull data out into data lakes or push into BI tools. And then on the risk side, I think companies uh, that provide this technology, there's a higher standard that they have to live up to in order to protect the customers that use it. Um, I, you know, there's not been a, a real, Joe just talked about the risk in this space, and. You know, there's not been a large data breach, knock on wood, in our, our space so far, but I think in order to protect, protect ourselves there, uh, companies have to be SOC 2 compliant, GDR, GDPR compliant, um, and they really have to do the things that are important to protect the data to make it valuable and accessible for their customers. Got it, got it, got it. Um, Kyle, I, 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 I like our initial introductions to building engines. I'm going to do one thing. Uh, I'm, I'm going to play your marketing video and then we're going to come back and comment on it some more. Okay, great. Does that work? Yes. In commercial real estate, success starts with the building. The best-run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, driving more revenue and boosting your NOI. It's what exceptional building operations is all about. But while the equation is simple, getting there is anything but, especially as your portfolio grows. Enter PRISM by Building Engines. PRISM is CRE's most modern, most innovative, and most powerful building operations platform, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties. PRISM's broad and deep feature set is built on two decades of helping CRE companies achieve operational excellence, including core features for best-in-class operations, innovative tools to boost the tenant experience, and unique solutions you won't see from any other ops provider. In today's mobile world, PRISM is right there with you, ensuring everyone from engineers to tenants have access to the info they need anytime, anywhere. The platform's open API infrastructure connects seamlessly with your in-house systems, delivering a best-of-breed CRE tech stack. And personalized reports provide the insights to keep property teams efficient, tenants up to speed, and owners armed with actionable data on the health of their buildings. The result? Lower operating expenses, higher tenant satisfaction, and rising revenues. PRISM is your key to unlocking greater NOI. See why the world's most successful companies have chosen building engines to increase operational efficiency for more than 3 billion square feet of commercial real estate worldwide. Visit buildingengines.com to schedule a free demo and see the power of PRISM today.
All right, we're back with Kyle McCabe. Uh, I so appreciate you. I want to comment on the on your video. You you meant, mentioned a return on investment, and we did have that question earlier from David Katz. Joe commented on it about uh, boosting uh, the NOI and looking for things that are well suited for payback and and low first cost. Uh, how how does building engines approach that? Uh, sure, great great question. Um, so our, our product and what we do, it's really focused on the operations of the building. And when we think about improving NOI, operational efficiency is a big part of that. So we really think about how we can uh, make people working in the building more efficient, allow them to do things more cost effectively, allow individuals to do more than maybe they previously had been able to. Uh, so re reducing, cost around operations is a big part of it. Anytime you're doing that, there are often opportunities to also generate revenue though. So there are opportunities when doing that to, to generate re different revenue streams throughout the building. And so if you can increase revenue, reduce operational cost, and then at the end of the day, keep your tenants happy and sticky and in place, that's going to ultimately those three things together are a great equation for improving NOI. And I think when you saw that survey about this market uncertainty, sticky tenants is certainly a desirable component of that, of course. But um, the uh, uh, how are you when you when you go into a potential client or a, you know a good fit for a new client? How are how is that conversation going? What's different now that, that they're asking for immediately than maybe they weren't so much to even just two years ago? Yeah, sure. I mean, you're, we've all sort of talked about it in, in your preamble at the beginning of this, talked about the uncertainty in the market. But I mean, we've really found that real estate technology is even more important today for some of the reasons I just said. People want to run the buildings more efficiently. Um, oftentimes, it's about you know, there's there's mobile workforces now that are trying to cover multiple assets. You have tenants working in these different hybrid environments and you need tools to better connect them and communicate with them. Uh, at the end of the day, there's so much money and energy invested in these buildings. They're not just going to go away. They need, they need to be run. And so the things that we find people are really focusing on is one, having a, a good core operations tool in place. Two, they're looking for tools to engage with tenants and better improve the tenant engagement process to keep the tenants they have, to attract and to bring tenants back to the building, to increase their brand uh, so that the tenants understand and are aware of it. We see a lot of people focused on energy, which is another obvious one, but ways to reduce energy, which is a great thing for the environment, of course, but also for the bottom line. Um, Vendor diversity is another hot area that we see people focusing on and understanding running a program that includes and incorporates diverse vendors into the, the companies that they're um, including when they when they do work and bring companies in to do work. And then just in, in another area is improving the, um, the experience of accessing a building. So whether you're a tenant in the building or a visitor in the building, just making that process a little bit more seamless. Now, and I guess the, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was the last thing I was just going to say is a lot of the things I sort of mentioned, and historically, a lot of this technology is around the office space. 
But I think we all know that industrial is a very hot segment, and we've seen a huge increase in the appetite for technology in the industrial space as well. You mentioned vendor diversity, and a, a subject uh, comes up often. It came up at uh, Realcom. It's coming up on in forums, and that's the this explosion of literally thousands of prop tech solutions in the industry. Uh, mm -hmm. I mentioned it to Justin Siegel. He, you know, he gave you what what he thought his opinion might be. Um, mm -hmm. uh, integrating with established systems or the uh, back office systems is is important. Those API integrations. Talk a little bit about that. Your partnership with some of those vendors and 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 is vendor diversity really what clients are asking for? Or are because in some some cases there's uncertainty there as which which horse you should pick. Uh, sure. So a lot, lot of different topics there, but I guess I'd say that um, I think vendor diversity is a, a real important thing for our customers. And I think it's also important for those that go out and, and fundraise uh, to buy and acquire buildings. Like the investors that participate in that process look to make sure that the companies they invest in have a robust process around it. So I think it, it is a real thing. I do agree with um, what Justin said that there is an explosion of companies, that there will be a consolidation, that a lot of them will probably be around in, in some period of time. When I look at this space, I see two types of companies. Uh, one are companies that have been around a long time and have experience and really understand real estate. And then there's startups that maybe have flashy tech and uh, in, interesting products, uh, po you know, possibly open products, but they don't aren't necessarily created by people that understand real estate. So what I what I always say to people is look for companies that have both, that have have evolved their tech over time. They have modern open technology platforms, but experience in the space. They have customers that use it, and then that open technology just becomes really important to me. You can't buy every product from one company. So you have to work with companies that are all going to play nice in the sandbox with each other. Um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, are focused on the operations space. When we look at the real estate technology stack, we think about counting, leasing, and operations as the big three areas. And, and no one does all of those. So you have to work with companies that can are open and can exchange data between those different silos. All right, Kyle, I'm going to, I, oh, I so want to ask you this question about AI and machine learning right now, but I'm going to wait until uh, we come, all come back together because I think Russ might have some comments about it. Before I bring uh, Russ Mitchell on, we do have a uh, video uh, to see from Carrier Abound. So let's roll that. Confidence is at the heart of everything we do at Carrier. Our systems fill buildings and homes with healthy, clean air. We detect and put out fires and help people stay safe and secure inside. Our innovations keep foods and life-saving medicines cold and fresh until they reach those who need them. At Carrier, we create solutions to help you build a brighter future. Inspiring confidence. Carrier. Manager of Carrier Abound. Welcome, Russ. Hi, Chuck. How are you? I'm good. I can hear you fine. So that's a good sign. 
Um, I, I uh, think the the, uh, the videos are always such an interesting tease. So I'm going to drop off, let you go through a couple of slides here. I'll come back on. I've got several questions for you. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. Well, I'll just quickly leverage a comment that Kyle just made. Hundreds of software companies out there trying to trying to bring new tech and get exciting. Well, Carrier, Carrier's been around a little while, so let's talk about what Carrier's doing. Okay, there we are. Oh. From a macro trend perspective, Carrier's all about clean air, but it's also because of, of the many, many years we've been in the built environment, we're able to, to help our people, and it's happening in this market space, with energy and cost savings, with the digitization of, of operations. We've had a few comments about all the different siloed solutions out there. But Carrier and, and many other people are creating those larger umbrellas where they're API forward and able to bring all of this into a single point where you can more efficiently run your buildings or portfolio. Um, we're tracking things around modernization and resiliency, and I'll talk a little bit about that in the next slide. We're helping folks uh, manage capital know how long they can run certain equipment before it's going to have to be replaced it's going to be serviced these sort of timings so folks are now able to get three five seven ten years out and start creating those capital management plans and it's all arcing these macro trends and our response and even the market's response it's all arching towards roi So we are into the energy performance segment, showing you creating that baseline. You start implementing programs to help reduce your use of energy. And because of our reporting capabilities, we're serving that up. We're serving that up against different buildings. So you can compare and contrast and even best in class buildings and things like Energy Star and where you are in your region in terms of your performance. The sustainability targets, all that data. And a couple of our my, my colleagues here have, have talked about the richness of data available in a BMS, a BAS on site that we can pull into that data lake and help you understand your progress against sustainability targets makes it terribly simple. Those of you who are in real estate or own a portfolio know how difficult it is right now as folks with gray hair and who've been around for 35 years start wandering into retirement. And the folks who are new to this space simply don't have the skills to run the operations. They want to point, they want to click, they want to be able to work in a much more modern capacity. And so these sort of IoT solutions are doing that. They're taking that barrier to entry. You need to hire somebody to take care of your facilities and we're making it easier for them and for you to do that. In fact, I, uh, I shared this with uh, with Chuck at the at the show, there's going to be a point where those solutions are deployed 
and we ship a dog with that solution directly to the facilities manager. The facilities manager's job is to feed the dog, and the dog's job is to keep the facility manager from messing with the system. Autonomous building, that's what we're headed to. The delivery model, it's in the cloud. It does have on-prem, very important. The equipment, all that data in the data lake so you can report against it, so you can know that your investments are yielding that ROI. The systems, totally integrated with the right kind of architecture addressing your security and privacy concerns. Artificial intelligence, I know we're gonna get to it, but that's when, that's when, that's when the FM and the dog partner together because we don't wanna mess with the algorithms and the work that we're doing by pulling that data and giving you real time and predictive analytics. So you know when somebody needs to come and walk, somebody said about the corneas and what have you, you know when somebody needs to walk the floor because the data will tell you. And the user experience, I think I just talked a little bit about that, where folks are actually able to work with highly complex machinery, equipment, and systems in a simplified manner. ROI, ROI, ROI. I'm just bragging on Carrier's intelligent building system here, but we're building the same thing with a lot of our, our, our end users where we're able to demonstrate the energy savings, real money savings, their progress against net zero, the health and climate benefits. Folks want to come back. And I, I agree with my colleague who said it's not going to be all at once, but it's going to be a trickle back. For America to be competitive, we need to get back into offices and we need to commiserate and we need to work together. Cutting the water usage. All of these things, again, driven in a unique solution and platform, as opposed to dozens and dozens of them, so that you can drive that ROI. That's it, Chuck. All right, Russ, <laughs> incredible. That's fantastic. I, I, I just, I, I, so many questions come to my, my brain. First of all, what do you think about the Realcom event? What was your reaction to, to, to the people, the, the sessions that you attended, the interaction that you had? Let's start with that. A super fun show. Um, the sessions I attended were just data rich. For me, it was like a trip through voice of customer to, to learn about the different things they're contending with and their strategies and to see the similarities between the challenges that they're articulating their strategies and paths forward and the solutions that we're building over here. So that was very exciting and encouraging. I thought some of the comments too, thinking about building strategies, uh, as we talked about earlier, the idea of cybersecurity and, and really protecting that data. Do, does, does Carrier Bound, uh, I, I looked at some of the uh, macro trends that you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. Operational cybersecurity wasn't listed, but I have to think it's well integrated into all of those. Well, it absolutely is. And it is certainly a macro and hot topic. But um, somebody used the phrase, and I think it was Joe earlier, table stakes. For a company with Carrier's brand and history, that's just table stakes for us. We partner, we help you secure that system. 
we give you that peace of mind around cybersecurity and emerging private privacy concerns. So when you're, you're thinking about different ways that we're tracking people in a building, they don't want their faces on cameras. They don't want data that, that, that makes them personally identifiable. All of that is, is, is uh, well, it's like Prego. It's baked in there for us. <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows about Prego. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, that when I was a kid, it was Prego. Yeah. It's in there. Yeah, I think that was their tagline. It's in there, right? Yeah. Right. I think that's it. Um, the uh, the idea of facial recognition you just brought up uh, when I was working on a project uh, with the, in Vietnam that that very well accepted very well integrated into the building systems to mm -hmm. identify end users. In fact, they would walk in the building and they would get messages on their phone welcoming them. All, uh, uh, almost mm -hmm. uh, un, very unusual. They would they knew what floor they had to go to. The intelligent elevators would come pick them up. There were no buttons on the elevator that would just take mm -hmm. them to the floor that they were going. How well is is Carrier adapting to some of that that newer technology that's probably much more acceptable in uh, Asia, but come certainly coming to the to the U.S. We're certainly able to do all of that and incorporate that into our solution, but I'm on, I'm honestly seeing more of a push towards towards non-personally identifiable technologies. We want to know, we want to know that that's two humans that walked into the conference room, and even a dog, but we don't want to know who they are. Right. Now, right. you know, there's there's data in 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 the data lake that because we can tap into schedules and know these sorts of things, but we don't want people to be personally identifiable. That seems to be the direction that 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 I'm sensing right now. That doesn't mean that I'm absolutely right, but but I think that's that's How about the case. Possibly a, possibly a bigger trend, the direction towards measuring, collecting, reporting on greenhouse gas emissions, net carbon zero goals, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. What's your thought in that area? Well, that's, um, you know, we're all the way through and we're working on on, on the third leg of the net zero uh, 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 quantification and delivery. It's it's not a very difficult thing to do once you're pulling that data into the data lake. You're tapping, you know, the electric, the steam, that sort of thing. So so getting that initial report out is is relatively straightforward for us. What's very important is our partnership with our clients and end users to establish that benchmark and that baseline because it's everything that they invest in, whether it's service with an HVAC, whether it's replacing some sort of system inside of their building, whether it's as, as simple as, 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 hey, we want to swap out and do LEDs or something. They want that benchmark. So they can see the ROI in those individual investments and then consolidate it into their reporting. And that's that's that's, you know, again, just leveraging something one of my colleagues here said. Um, that's what's so important about not having uh, 100 different pieces of technology that can't that can't speak to one another and can't interact, interact properly. So that's that's something that we feel like we're out in front of and very excited about. All right. Fantastic, Russ. Uh, we're going to bring everybody back on. So uh, we're going to welcome Joe Rich and Kyle back on uh, and uh, we'll do a little uh, 
round table lightning round kind of uh, session. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Kyle, can you hear us okay? Yes, sir. All right, very good. I'm gonna start, Joe, with you because we talked a little bit, the AI came up, machine learning. Uh, certainly there were some discussions about chat GPT, some uh, hesitations there uh, at Realcom event. T talk about where you think that's going and what uh, what businesses and, and operators should be con considering in this area. So I, I think personally, as a general category, ChatGPT generative AI is a you know once in a generation kind of technology change. Um, I, I think I, I've certainly I can see part of it, but I I think it's so great I can't see all of it. Um, and by by that I I mean it is certainly going to change the way we work, the way uh, that that we we live uh, on on a day to day basis. And I'm, being a technologist for so long, I'm optimistic about it. Um, not everybody is so optimistic. Uh, I, I certainly see the downsides. There's been downsides to every technology. You know, there's been downsides to vaccines. There's been downsides to, you know, the internet itself. There, there's been downsides to every technology, but we we always seem to find a way to figure out to make it better for for mankind. There are companies within our industry that are flat out blocking ChatGPT within their their environments. Um, we are we are not one of them. I hope we don't have to get to that point. Um, and um, we are constantly looking for ways to to really utilize the technology. Um, you know, very simply, one example, just our FP&A group was using it to rewrite macros. It, it saves them a ton of time um, and just different different formulas. That that's great for for us. What what the real estate industry doesn't have is uh, their own large language model. That that doesn't work. We don't have enough data. Even if you took every piece of data produced by every piece of carrier equipment, it's about five seconds of what Amazon gets. It, it just doesn't, it, we don't have that, that level of data and large language model obviously needs um, billions, if not trillions of, of rows of data. And, and we don't have that, that much. But I think there's, there's, there's uh, advances coming, coming along that will, will also change that. And, and we're always on the lookout. Um, I think that's that's one of the things they say to our team that head needs to be on the swivel. We always need to be looking left, right, and sideways, and behind us to see to see what where the opportunity is. And I think that's the key for our industry is is looking for the opportunity where it makes sense. We saw a little bit of that at Realcom. Uh, you know, the Urban Land Group they had created some Chat GPT functionality, but the database was very tightly controlled so it wasn't just wide open component i think you're you're speaking to that in the sense of if you think about as you mentioned thousands and thousands of of iot devices sensors cameras generating uh, millions of data points uh, even that within a building you, you in order for the chat gpt functions to make sense you almost have to start bringing in weather data traffic data uh, public data, public information, so you can start making predictions about things. Uh, that I think that's where you're going with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, on on average, I think I, I read that the uh, the average large language model costs about ninety million dollars to create from from scratch. Um, 
I'm not going to my board and suggesting that. <laughs> the rest of you probably, might, but probably I would, not. That I wouldn't could, recommend I, it. I was going to say that could definitely change your relationship with your CEO, correct? <laughs> uh, definitely. Probably might even change my career path. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, fly fisherman. All right, Kyle, I'm going to bring you in on this one because uh, you've got a, you've got a product you've affectionately named Hank. I think let's uh, let's let's talk about Hank for a little bit. Artificial intelligence, Chat GPT, adaptive AI. What's your what's your comments about the direction of where this is going in a market that we saw? There's still a lot of uncertainty. Why would people want to invest in this? Yeah, it's a great question, and um, <clears throat> you know. I, I think a lot personally, a lot of the, you know, AI technology that's out there is is still in its infancy and it's aspirational. And I'm really excited that there's lots of smart people thinking forward on those things and working on them because that's how we're going to get there to make them practical. But we focus more on some of the smaller practical applications of those and how we can actually use those products today. So we have a product uh, that we it, it's a it's it's we focus on um, because we're operationally focused. Our product focuses on HVAC, and the reason we we pick that is a couple of reasons. One, um, it's in our core competency, but two, HVAC is one of the it's the biggest line item in the energy spend in a building. So if you can automate and do things around HVAC, you're going to move the overall needle. So we have a product that we connect to the BMS system and it does some BMS automation. It has AI technology and it brings in a number of different data sources. So weather information, angle of the sun based on the time of year um, and a variety of uh, sensor inputs as well. And then what it does is it controls the equipment connected to the BMS in a more efficient way. So one, it's important because it's, creating energy efficiency, it's improving um, the indoor air quality and the comfort in the building, but it automates things that otherwise a person might have to do. And when you're trying to run a mobile workforce across many assets, automating certain things can be, can be very, very useful. And just to explain it one more step further, the reason we, we, we look at automation here is because this product does what we call micro adjustments. So it makes adjustments uh, in many, many adjustments in real time, faster sometimes than a person could even do. So and often a common example I'd give to, to explain it is that in the past, maybe an indoor air exchange for an office building, you might do one, two, three big exchanges a day. Uh, this product might elect to do hundreds of micro bursts of fresh air uh, in a given day. Yeah, that's interesting. I think when I was looking at some of these products before that uh, solution, you know, uh, I, you can look at your phone right now and you can accurately know what the weather's going to be like in the next four hours in where exactly you're standing. So if you knew where the building was and you knew where a conference room was and every Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, on the east side of the building, a 12-person a, a, a conference room uh, consistently gets overpopulated with 20 people. The machines seem to learn that very quickly and can make those micro adjustments uh, without anybody going up there and avoiding a too hot, too, too cold, too stuffy kind of uh, service call, right? That's, that's what you're talking about. 
That's exactly right. And I think that you're absolutely correct that between the outdoor, the, the um, external data sources, plus the ability of the uh, mechanical to the, the computer to learn, we also think that coupling it with the sensor data is important because although it may have learned a pattern, maybe something unique is happening today. And so if you can couple it with occupancy data from real live sensors, it might tell the system, hey, yes, you learned this pattern, you should, you should shut the end of the air down right now, but maybe you shouldn't because people are obviously walking into the room right now. Right, I think- So it's yeah. a combination of those two together. Yeah, um, and, and Russ, sometimes time of day makes such a big sense, especially if you've got an office building that has retail uh, or even lunch space at the bottom, you know, open between 11 and one doors are going to be opening up a lot more than they were before. So making those micro adjustments makes sense. How does that impact the carrier abound and, and what are you seeing in this market? Well, in this market, we're seeing many of the same things that, that Kyle is seeing and we've many of the same features and that sort of thing. What's really interesting about where we're pushing now with that same set of capabilities is really towards a self-sustaining system, HVAC or otherwise, that we are well aware of the usage, well aware of when we're out of spec, and we kind of see a future where that smart IoT system literally goes and gets the service tech and puts him or her right on the job so that you're optimizing that equipment so that you're saving energy, you're saving money, you're saving time. And uh, same thing for the facility managers. They don't have to lay eyes on it. They don't have to go and read a report and try to dissect what this means, but it's, it's, it's autonomy of that building, of the systems, of the maintenance and maximization of the value of those assets. Do you see this, Russ, as more assistive intelligence? Maybe that's a better terminology for AI versus uh, artificial, because there's nothing artificial about it, right? It's it's uh, it's the fact, it's the data that's collecting. And this idea, you think a building could have 20 floors, 30 floors, 50 floors, multiple zones per, per, per floor. No one person can go around and make those adjustments as quickly as 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 something like that could. Well, I don't think anyone's going to have to do that. I think it's going to self-adjust based on those patterns, based on, on people moving into that conference room that was described. Oh, there are eight or 10 people coming in here. We knew that was coming. It's not every single day. Looks like there's more. Let's open up and let's get more fresh air in there. Let's, we're out of spec with the temperature. Let's drop it down. You know, controlling that, if you talk to a facilities manager, they'll tell you, my number one call is somebody's too warm, somebody's too cold, somebody's just not right. And we can do that with the data available today and with the systems to, to remediate those and lessen those and make this a much easier thing for people to operate a building or a portfolio much more efficiently, even with fewer people. And now we're talking about real ROI and the sort of things that, that, uh, help people weather this storm and come out on the other side. Joe, the, uh, we, uh, those two conversations that we just had talked about implementing technology to make the buildings more efficient, um, better ROI, make the building engineers more efficient, 
from a ownership perspective, what do you see happening towards valuation when that occurs? Well, certainly anything that can uh, reduce expense and Im improve, improve the NOI of a building is going to improve the, the valuation of that building. That's kind of like a, a math exercise, if, if you will. I don't see any, unless you have that NOI, I don't see uh, inherent valuation going up just because you have it. You have to show, you know, the ROI comes from the NOI. Well, that was because some of the, you know, the loans, the loan to value uh, now is becoming such an issue with some of these buildings. You were very optimistic when we first, you know, at the very beginning of this interview, you saw some of the, some of the news articles are not optimistic. Uh, Fort Worth uh, seemed very optimistic. Um, and we we're getting comments from, uh, from, from uh, live users about this idea of, ROI, making the buildings as efficient as possible, and um, how, are you changing the technology that goes in your buildings because of some of the things that are becoming available? Um, not necessarily valuation, Chuck. I mean, valuation has so many other components to it, market, market rate variables that I don't think any one operator or owner could actually affect or, or change, right? So, what we are doing is, I'll call it sticking to our knitting of operating the building as most efficiently as, as we can and, and always looking at what's in front of us and ahead of the curve to make that even more efficient and improve our NOI even more. Um, we're not making decisions necessarily to change the, the valuation that should come from our, our asset managing the, the NOI. How about things like David Cast uh, asked another question about ESG requirements and monitoring the building envelope. So uh, changing windows, dual pane, car, uh, argon gas windows. Are you do are you retrofitting things and uh, for for any uh, older buildings to make that kind of uh, ESG adjustment? We are lucky enough not to have a lot of old buildings in our portfolio. Um, you know, from a commercial office building and mixed use. So all of our assets that have been built in the last, you know, 10, 12 to 15 years have uh, low E glass uh, as part of the, the, the build out and the, uh, the lead certification process. You know, in our affordable housing, they're different, they're different type of envelope and a lot of wood frame construction and so those are kind of different issues and different footprints as a matter of fact got it got it we, we've got a couple minutes left uh kyle let me come back to you uh, how um let's see i let's talk a little bit about uh healthy building strategies things that you see are changing when you go into clients again things that they're asking for now they weren't asking for before what 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 how has the technology changed of what you're talking about today yeah like, like i said mentioned earlier i think the products that have open api are just sort of really important to everybody i mean we're, we're obviously talking with joe and his role as a cio cto role i mean that role didn't exist in our space in the way it does now i think five or ten years ago when i spoke to folks 
when I first started with building engines that had that title, they were they were focused on network cables and you know things that were more office infrastructure. I mean, now you have guys like Joe that are focused on strategy and thinking about the risks and the bigger picture. So I think that's that's not everybody has that, and um, you know that's been a breath of fresh air for our space. So I think products that are open open API are a big focus and um, you know, and, and we talked a little bit earlier about tenant engagement as well. I think that that's definitely a hot topic right now. People thinking about, uh, are these tools important in order to attract people to come back to the building? Are they important to retain tenants? And I think some people don't think they are at all either. So I think that's a pretty polarizing topic and something that uh, a lot of people are asking about right now. Let me let me adjust the question a little bit, Russ, for you. The uh, well-building standards are mm -hmm. evolving. Right. Mm -hmm. And how how do you evolve with well building standards? And does does I, I want to ask a question too about well building standards and data governance. So as a mm -hmm. as an owner operator, as as Joe has mentioned, um, it, once you've got multiple systems, they generate their own data. How are we moving towards a data governance platform that helps us meet those well building standards? Maybe let me frame it that way. Well, we, we've built those standards into the platform. So all we're doing is taking the data, mapping it to those standards, and then presenting it back to you so that you can see how your investments, how your properties, that your strategies are yielding results against the well-being standard. Okay, good. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, once again, it's, it's, it's baked in to, to, to what we're doing. We also have other standards from which, you know, you can go in and say, I want to use this standard or I want to use that standard. And then the data just presents itself against those standards. And, you know, our systems even help you make recommendations as to how to boost those scores, how to get more compliant. Joe, last word. On this topic? Any topic you want, last word. Any, any topic I want. I, I will say uh, what I said at the beginning, that the death of office is overrated. Uh, so we're all gonna have to watch the movie to the end, but my bet is that the death of office is overrated because people are more productive and innovative when they work in close proximity and we are social creatures by nature. There you go. All right, all of our Realcom followers, I uh, just want to thank all of our panelists for your valuable contributions today. We had some good questions come in, lots of information to process, so I thought that was great. Uh, whether you've joined us live or you're watching this as a recording, thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for our next webinar in this mid-year trends course correction series. That's on July 27th. It's operational technology takeaways, focusing a lot on the built environment. We talked about some of that today. And then in August, we've got uh, sessions that are really celebrating women and diversity in the commercial real estate market. So a lot of interesting pieces coming together for that. So thank you again, all of you. Thanks to our sponsors for all of your uh, effort in support of Realcom. Uh, that's it for us. Be safe. And we will talk to you again next time. Thanks again. Thank you, Chuck. See you. Thank you.